Business Women Rock, episode 43. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. I'm so honored that you're here today. I've got such a great show for you. Before we get into that, I have a cool little celebration that I want to share with you today. Today is the second wedding anniversary between my husband, Chris, and I. And I just want to use a couple of seconds to give him a huge shout out and a giant thank you because um, he's just amazing. And what you may or may not know is that he's actually the entire other half of the Business Women Rock community, as well as my business partner in our local Tampa Bay business owners organization. And the brilliance of business that this guy comes to the table with is just incredible. And, um, and you know, aside from the whole business aspect, he's just an incredible man and has a huge heart and um, just really cares about making an impact in this world um, for the betterment of it. And I just have so much respect and love for that. So I love you, babe. Happy anniversary. And to celebrate my wedding anniversary, I would just highly recommend that you give a little extra hug or an extra little love today to the person who has been the most supportive for you because that is the person that just helps you when you're the lowest and, you know, cheers you on when you're the highest. So just like my husband does. So go and give him a little love. Let's get on with the show today. My guest today is Barbara Kasoff, who's the founder of WIP, which is Women Impacting Public Policy. It is an organization that she's been running for, I think, 13 years now that she started because she had started and sold two different businesses beforehand and during that process really recognized how important it was for her to be very intimately involved with what was going on with the policies that were affecting her company and the companies of the clients that she had and the other women that she was hanging around with. So she started this company, WIP, and it's been doing tremendous things. So you're going to hear so much about her journey and about what's going on with women in public policy as it pertains to business. So what a perfect fit. Turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Barbara, thank you so much for being here with us today on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Thanks so much. Glad to be with you. I want to start that you are incredibly ingrained in the women in business sector on the legislative level. And every single day, you're working with your nonprofit organization that you began in 2001 called Women Impacting Public Policy, or WIP. But before we go into what you're doing with WIP, I really want to get the behind the scenes story as to what have you experienced to even get you to the point and get you so fired up about what you're doing today. So why don't you tell us first and foremost, what is your first business experience? How did you even get into the business space? Uh, well, I think the jobs and the positions that I held as an adult all prepared me to become an entrepreneur. When I first started out working after my college days, I was a teacher and teacher for middle school, as a matter of fact. 
And I still say today that some of the best experiences and knowledge that I earned and, and that I learned was from becoming a teacher. So it was just a really terrific experience. I stopped and left the education field only when education became very hard several years ago and there were not many positions available. So I was kind of pushed into the corporate world and got myself a job as an instructional trainer uh, using my teaching skills but really in a business background. And it was just an amazing introduction into the corporate world and I was able to take my work there and the skills that I learned and grow from being an instructor to eventually in the corporate world becoming a senior vice president of research and software development. Pretty, pretty remarkable climb. But here, I think that my ability to communicate, my ability to organize myself and to be able to work with other people were all tools for me to start off as an entrepreneur and to help me in my corporate world. So I worked for about 14 years in the corporate world and then there was an opportunity that came up that I had learned about from a brand new franchise company in the telecommunications arena that was starting out. And this company dealt with voice messaging. It's really just like email, but this was before email became really popular and and the method of communication. Anyhow, it sounded so intriguing to me. It was a franchise. I bought it together with my husband. We bought the master franchise for the state of Michigan and built it to become, uh, with 11 offices in Michigan, and built it to become the fifth largest in the country. So it was a pretty remarkable climb as an entrepreneur to be able to own a company and develop a company in a brand new technology without any competition made to your listeners sound like a pretty good opportunity, but that really made it much, much more difficult for us because nobody knew who and what we are, what we were and what we sold. When you have competition, you can always compete price, product, service. And here I was having to educate the general public on voice messaging and why it was important for them so that they would buy my product and my service. So that's the start of Voicetel of Michigan. That's how I began. It was just a tremendous climb. I want to jump in there and dig a little bit deeper into your experience at Voicetel. So you started the company, you started it with your husband. Talk a little bit about how you grew the company. What were your goals in the beginning? Because there are a couple of unique factors. A, it was a franchise. And B, that it was a brand new technology that you really had to educate your customers or your potential customers about, really. So what were your goals in the beginning? And how did you know that you were achieving those goals? How, how were you measuring the fact that you were actually making progress? Well, the goals for the company were very simple. We had to build awareness of our product and our service so that we could sell it. That was number one. Number two, my company, Voicetail, was a very capital-intensive company. So we had to raise a considerable amount of money to be able to purchase the equipment. So for the first two to three years, it really was an extraordinary time of being in the red, of being able to juggle 
the finances of running a company, building your investment in it, trying to build awareness of your product and services, and not sink under. So our goals, I would say, for the first three years were purely survival. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, just amazing challenges. I remember we had very young teenagers, and they their response was, how could you do this to us at this time of our life? I want to go back to that. So start where you were there. You're, you, had, you had two teenagers at that time, and they were, they were sort of sitting behind the scenes with you guys so crazy thinking, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very intense in terms of the time. You know, when you start off a business, no matter what your business is, even if it's not under as difficult circumstances as ours was, it takes a lot of time. And every brand new business is the chief cook and bottle washer. You are the accountant, you're the salesperson, you're the janitor, you hold and run every single spot in the company. So having the time to balance life, your family, your marriage, and grow your company are are big challenges for any entrepreneur, any businessman, and I think particularly for a uh, businesswoman. And how exactly did you handle that at the time? This was your first jump into entrepreneurialism. You and your husband are totally 100% in it. How did you balance all of that? The challenge was, were we jumping into all of this under really extreme circumstances? But also, as a married couple, it presented challenges. I think anybody will will say that when you're working with each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it can be challenging. And we early on set, set up a rule that when we got home, we would leave the business at home. But also, more importantly, we set up a rule that was very, very clear to us. Nothing, nothing would ever come first or ever be between us. So not the company, not anything else is more important than our relationship and our ability to maintain our family. I think that's brilliant and very, very intuitive of you guys to recognize and state from early on because many of our listeners have businesses that they run with their husbands, with their spouses, and that can get very blurry sometimes and it it allows for a lot of a lot of confusion, a lot of ways that business can bleed into the relationship in good and bad ways. So that was pretty astute of you guys to really recognize from early on. We knew that that would be probably the biggest threat, not the money, not keeping the business and making the business successful. But the biggest, the biggest goal that or challenge that we had was maintaining that balance and setting our relationship as the priority. So, at what point you spent the first couple of years in the red, and then after how many years did it actually take you to grow to such a size? Um, first couple of years were we really bled money. The third year we began to see money coming in. So we were able to work through in the third year so that we were finally at a point by the end of the third year where we were making enough money to pay our bills, which is a a major achievement, I'm sure, as everybody realizes. And from there, it was just grew every year. And also by that time, importantly for us, we began to have many competitors. All of the telephone companies, all of the bells at that time, 
started offering voice messaging services and voicemail. And so that was a tremendous, tremendous event for us because they were marketing voice messaging and voicemail. And then we were able to compete on product and on service and on price. And in addition to that, we were then able to work with the Bell companies, with the telephone companies on their product, and we were able to provide services to them that they couldn't do. Big bureaucracies, telephone companies, offer very vanilla product, where we, as a small company, can be very flexible, very responsive to market needs, and we developed some really interesting applications that the companies, our competitors, liked, and we would sell our service to them that they could then resell. So year four, year five brought tremendous, tremendous success to us. And it sounds like it really was on the backs of those larger companies coming out and you being able to partner with those companies and really build alliances with Mm -hmm. those companies, which is very smart. And I think a little counterintuitive to how most people would approach, quote unquote, competition. That's right. You should never worry about your competition. You can never tell how good a partner your competitor could become to you. Most people just don't think about that, but it's an opportunity for people to consider and to look at. So from that point, your business really took off. What do you attribute in those next couple of years, the success of your company, the next few years of your business growing because of these alliances that you were creating and because of these large companies doing marketing about your space really took took you guys into the stratosphere. What do you attribute that success to? Well, I would say innovation, ingenuity, creativity, and flexibility. Those those were the things. And I can give you two quick examples. So the first one is with an organization that I think many of your women listeners would recognize and know about, National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO. I developed a communication system for them. All of their members got on our service, all had a voice messaging mailbox, and the president of the national organization would message to everybody once a week. People would be able to communicate back and forth. There were communications between different chapters, policy, and action alerts, and, and things that happened in a way that was never able to happen before, where people are used to, were used at that time just to picking up the phone and making one call at a time to one another. And the second one is with a company that I think a lot of people would recognize, and that's Amway. Amway has tens of thousands and millions of distributors around the world. How do they communicate with each other? Amway was located, happened to be located corporate headquarters in Michigan. We were able to secure them as a, a client, and we sold thousands of Amway mailboxes who would use the voice tell system to communicate back and forth. Diamonds would communicate with their teams, team leaders would communicate with each other's incentives, products would be bought and sold through our system. The leader, Mr. DeBoss, would send a message at that time to all of his members. Every Sunday night, I would watch the systems 
light up throughout the country. And he would send a message, we just came back from China and opened up China to Amway. And people would listen to that, and they would be able to touch Ada answer, and they would be able to pass on that message to other members of the team. And so it was, we developed such a, an interesting and unique system that really became in large part to their success, their ability to communicate. There was not email then, there was not that way of group and massive communication, uh, but you had the communication in the same way except with the sound of the voice. People were able to hear what he had to say, hear his excitement, hear what was happening. So that's an example. Those are two examples of creative solutions that we as a small company were able to think of and to be able to develop that really catapulted us to be able to think out of the box, not just to think about our product as a voice mailbox that would be an answering machine for somebody that met a way of communicating that was, at that time, second to none. What's becoming really obvious in the stories that you're just telling is that you seem to have zero hesitation in being able to approach some pretty large companies back in the day, and absolutely that filters into what you're doing now. What was in your mind as far as approaching these big, huge clients? Amway's a huge client, what was going on in your mind and what happened that, that gave you that fire to go and approach Amway or what was set up for you? What, what networks were set up for you that allowed you to do that so comfortably? Well, I think there are two things that are important for entrepreneurs in general, and that's not to be afraid of failure. I mean, you can't fail. The, the biggest failure that anybody could have is to never try. And we had a lot at stake in building a business. And to it's one thing to sit back and worry and never try. And it's another thing to say, here are my problems. I'm not in this marketplace. What can I do? Who can I talk to? Who can help me? And so we just tried. We, we said, we, we have a great product. We have a great service. We think we can provide a solution. At that time, I belonged to a lot of organizations, did a lot of networking, made sure that I met and was in an environment with people all the time that I could talk to that provided two sources of help to me. One is other entrepreneurs that were going through similar things to me that we could talk honestly about the, the trials and issues growing and developing a system, but also meeting people who became later became clients of mine, who I, as I met them and talked to them and learned about them, I was able to see where there was a fit, where there was a gap that I could fill with my product or my, uh, my service. So... Getting out there, not being afraid of failure. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody will say no. That's mm -hmm. the worst that can happen. So I was less afraid of no than I was not trying. So you grew Voicetel into one of the largest voice messaging service companies in the nation. And then what did you do next? Well, I developed an affiliated company called Voice Response Corporation. Well, actually, right before I did that, I opened up Voicetel of Australia, 
and New Zealand. I did that on behalf of the National Franchisor, which was a major and really wonderful experience to be able to build your business internationally. And then through my experience in growing Voicetel both in Michigan with na- and with national clients, I began to see another gap and built Voice Response Corporation in response to that. So very often when you see, for example, an ad and maybe it's a car ad and they give a number to call, part of the problem was having enough lines, being able to respond to that. Well, I put together, is able to put together an application so that we could represent corporations that were advertising and marketing on television or on the radio and provide that messaging service that people would be able to call in and would be and we would be able to funnel and distribute the calls. So it, in essence, we developed a kind of call center application that really was an outgrowth of Voicetel. All in about less than three years. And the reason for that is because we had a purchaser that came and wanted to buy up Voicetel, came out of the blue. We hadn't expected it or anticipated it. And we went through the process of of selling Voicetel to a publicly traded company and were considering, you know, obviously we had our, our second company, Voice Response Corporation. And then a couple of suitors came along and said, we want Voice Response Corporation. And shockingly, it, the offers were right. The time was right. And I had all already been thinking about women impacting public policy, about WIP. I was thinking about an organization that could provide and fill a gap for other women business owners in terms of having a voice. So we sold Voice Response Corporation, and then I began my journey with WIP. So I want to get to what was going on with you. Obviously, we know your businesses were selling. What had happened? What What is the big why and the big fire behind what started women impacting public policy? There's There's got to be something there of experiences that you had had that kind of gave you the fire as to wanting to really start this organization and really make an impact. So what what is that? Sure. I think that the impetus for that were all my experiences as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and a lot of that networking that I was doing. It came pretty apparent to me along the way as a business owner that there were many laws, there were many regulations, there were many things that happened that I was constantly responding to, some that were good, some that were troublesome and or that affected or impacted the growth of my company. And I didn't feel as if I had a voice. I didn't know how to leverage my voice. I had been so busy growing my businesses, I really didn't get that. Part of growing your business was being able to affect and impact the policies and the regulations that affect your the growth of your business. And at one 
networking meeting that I was at, I met a state senator and and was talking to her and I and I actually became friends with her. I got to know the things that she was working on. She also became is in the course of building our relationship began to rely upon me for information about policies, as I said, and regs that affected my business because she wanted to be able, when she was working or drafting policy or voting on policy, she wanted to know that she was being responsive to her constituents. So that really set set the tone. That's how I got involved. I saw the immediate reaction on the state level, and then I wanted to be able to move and expand that to federal policy. It just became fascinating. Once I learned how it worked and that I had a voice, I wanted to be able to capitalize on it, not only for the growth of my business, but be able to demonstrate and show to other women that were running their businesses, that they too could have a voice. They could help their businesses grow. And I discovered along the way of doing that by having relationships with legislators, with policymakers, put me into a network of people, of bigger corporations, of other business owners that became clients of mine as well. I was able to attract and and uh, build relationships that I never would have had the opportunity be, to do before. And people began to regard me differently because I became a leader in my community. I was able to talk about issues, and I gained as I gained recognition in leadership, my business grew as well. Can you please give an overview of what Women Impacting Public Policy is all about, what you do, and what your mission is. We are a national organization, nonpartisan. That means we don't take sides. And what we do, what WIP does, is we educate and advocate on the business issues that affect the growth of small businesses, particularly women-owned businesses. So we are the voice of every woman business owner in this country. We have a team in Washington, D.C., a government relations team that works in, that's on the Hill every single, single day that knows the senators and the House representatives, and they're working on the issues that, that affect us in our business growth. So that as these policymakers, just like I spoke about before, are working on issues, they come to us, to our team, and they say, what does this mean? How will this affect you? Is this good or is this not good? Or how could we make this law better so it works for you? And we only, only focus on the issues. We don't care if a piece of policy, a piece of legislation is generated by a Republican or if it's generated by a Democrat. We focus on the issue, what that policy means to a business owner. Sometimes we say, this just doesn't work. This is why we can't work with this issue. And if you can't, if you can't 
make it accommodate our needs, that sign, perhaps we can work with you on another issue. And then sometimes we'll be out there and working on a, a very important issue with a Democrat or with a Republican, and they'll say to us, help us build consensus. And sometimes we help build and bring both Republicans and Democrats together to focus on the issue that's important to us. So we've really been able to achieve a very, very important role. And with that, with our government relations team, what we do is we not only educate all our members on the issues and policies that we're working on, but we teach them how to have a voice, how to meet their own senator, their own House member, and how to meet them, what to talk to them about, how to talk to them about your business, and how to talk to them about how issues are affecting them or what they would like to see. And so we help build the leadership of our members and the voice of our members so that they can become more powerful in their communities and so that they can grow their business and so that they can help the growth of not just their own company, but the companies of and the communities at large. After all, if everybody, if you help another company or another business owner become successful, you help really build jobs and you help make a better community and a better country for everybody. Barbara, how many members do you represent? How many women in business out there does WIP represent? So WIP has direct members. We have about 18,000 members who are specific members of ours, but also we have 75 business organizations that are affiliated with us that work together with us on these issues. And representing these business organizations and our members means that our outreach and our representation is to over 4.7 million business women across the country. That is a large, large constituency of women. A large, loud voice. Well, and here's what fascinates me about what you're doing. In order to be a singular voice, to be represented in Washington and for the purpose of legislation and, and the forward movement of women in business, you have to make sure that you're doing a lot of communication with your constituency, with these women who are wanting to, to change things in Washington with the business owners. How do you manage that mass communication with your members? We communicate in as many ways as possible. So we do a lot of social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find us there. We have broadcast emails. We have weekly policy briefings that go out to our members that keep them up to date on issues as well as on helping them build strategies to be successful in different areas such as federal contracting. We have what I think is a world-class online educational program called Give Me Five that has trained and educated over 600,000 women business owners over the past five years on how to successfully compete for contracts. We just signed a partnership early last year 
with the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and American Express Open called Challenge Her. And we do events all across the country to train, again, women entrepreneurs that you have another customer that you can seek out and build your revenues with, and that's the, that's the federal government. And we have online chats as well as those events and the webinars, and we do conference calls all the time. If there's an action alert, if there's something really important, we'll get out a blast to everybody and say, join us on the phone so we can talk and tell you what's going on and so that you can connect and contact your elected official and explain to them what's important about this. So we'll communicate to as many people as we can in as many different ways as possible. Barbara, I would imagine that the the women that you are trying to reach fall into one of two camps. Either they're already on board and they're ready to give you feedback and sort of be part of that group, or they're too busy running their businesses and they don't really see a need for it. Tell our audience why you think it's important for women to be involved in legislation and to be involved on that level when it, it concerns their business. The first thing I would say for somebody who's really just beginning, just starting off in business, even if you have the interest, it's really hard because you're working your business 24-7. You're struggling. You're struggling to meet a payroll. You're struggling to get a salary yourself. So you don't really have the time or, or the energy to do that. So many, many of our wood members have been in business for at least three years and, and are over the most difficult end of it. But you're right, even for them, it's a stretch. It's not intuitive for people to know that it's important to have a voice, to know that your senator or um, his or her staff person at the local office can be your best friend. They might get you out of a situation that you never dreamed of, like they're going to put a, a highway across the street or open up a lane and, and put, your, put you out of business for the next six months. But it's not intuitive. You don't know about all of these things can help you. They don't, you don't know that it can help you build your standing in the, in the community and build your business. So our job is to try and reach as many of women as we can and help educate them on why this is important. It's almost like when I first began building Voicetail and nobody knew what the heck messaging was. You have to educate people on what the opportunity is. And so we're very big on our educational products and services. Um, we let in, is most of which, by the way, are at no charge. You can take almost any webinar and go, go to almost any event of ours and not have to pay a penny. All you have to do is be committed to learning as much as you can so that you can grow your business. That's number one. And then number two, help another woman grow. If we don't help each other, we're not going to get where we need to go. 
One of the things that fascinates me the most about you is that you are obviously a connector. You are very good at bringing different pockets of people together for a common purpose. I have a couple questions for you on that. How do you do that? Okay. How do you motivate people? And what kind of leader are you? I think that in building WIP and I had to, I knew right away that would be successful if I built numbers and if I got other organizations to join in together with me. And that was not an easy task. All these organizations immediately became frightened. Oh, well, I, you know, why should I partner with you? And you're going to take my members and, you know, things like that. And it was a big educational system that, no, we could provide, if we work together, look at what things, issues and things that we agree on and we work on together, we can both benefit. And it was really took a long time to be able to lay out the fact that it's not just about me, it's about us. It's about all of us working together. And that's true in in every area that you work in. We're only going to get legislation through if all of us work on it together and make that happen. So it's patience. Patience is a big word. Building that awareness that we all need one another and that we will all be better if off if we work together. It takes time. takes patience, it takes energy, it's being able to see beyond just your little world into a bigger and a better world for everybody. And I think that if you have that kind of attitude, if you look at a bigger picture, a more inclusive picture, one that everybody will benefit in, you'll find that you'll succeed and that you'll grow in ways that you had never expected to. And I think that's what leadership is all about. Leadership isn't just about confidence. Leadership isn't just about all these things that they pick peg for it. Leadership is about learning, about caring, learning how to advocate. Give us some quick stats. What is the economic impact of women in business today? How many people are they employing? What kind of revenues are they producing on a national scale? Well, I can tell you that in terms of WIP, our average member up to 20 employees and has been in business for five years or longer. So our members are are there, and average revenues for our members is about $10 million. What do you do to keep yourself sharp? What do you do to make sure that you're constantly on top of running your organization and keeping on top of what's going on out there? I think I listen a lot. I listen to members, I listen to politicians, I listen to a lot of people, and I read a a lot of things. I've learned one group that I don't listen to are pundits. I don't think they know any more than than (laughs) anybody else does, but I've learned that the people that really know are the people like us that are in the trenches. I've learned never to let anybody tell me what's good or bad about policy unless I've read that policy myself and can see. Everybody will try and interpret and explain from their perspective. 
so I've learned to be able to read and to listen and to and to look at something in a pretty open and analytical sort of way. And what books in all of your reading, I know you're reading a lot of policy, but what books, maybe what business books have really helped you along your journey? Well, the most current one that I'm actually looking at now is a book called Traction by Gina Wickman, Get a Grip on Your Business, mostly because I want to work with my team, with my staff on how to connect the dots, be able to look at what they are doing and see how it fits in a bigger picture of what we are trying to accomplish at WIP. So I've been looking at that and reading that and and trying to understand um, what kinds of things we can do here as an organization that will help us do our job better. Barbara, after starting and building and selling two different companies, and after founding Women Impacting Public Policy and the all of the groundwork that you've done for that for the past 13 years, what's on the horizon for you? What do you see next for you? I can't see anything next other than this. I mean, we still have such a long way to go, I think. We're making tremendous progress, but there's so many things to be able to work on. I think WIP has a great advocacy model. I'd love to see, and we've been having some discussions, of uh, working with other countries and other organizations in other countries to help build a model, advocacy model, just like the WIP model. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of these advocacy organizations somehow connected and were intertwined together with each other. Think of how we would grow partnerships, how we'd grow business, how we'd grow trade worldwide instead of just domestically. Barbara, I really just want to thank you so much for your time and for this conversation today. It was absolutely incredible. Thank you so much. I had fun. It was great to be able to talk with you. You can get the show notes for today's episode at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 43. Probably one of my biggest takeaways from that conversation with Barbara was how vital it is to completely get networked. And you could see throughout her business history how powerfully it worked for her just to get integrated into her business community. You know, it... um, It had an impact on her direct business. I mean, she got business out of it. It really helped fuel her passion for advocating for women in business. And it helped her sort of, you know, link arms with other women who were doing that as well. So it just was very powerful to hear how she did that and how she was able to really gather and um, and advocate on a grand scale with all of these other people. And she really did that just by building relationships. So just a great concept to walk away here from. And if you have not already, please remember to become part of the BWR Connect. This is our totally exclusive Facebook group that is just for you. It's a great chance for all of the listeners, all of the amazing women from all over the globe who are listening to this podcast and want to be a part of the community. They want to connect with other businesswomen. It's a great way for us all to really, you know, just interact with one another and get advice from one another and show support to one another. So, Go there. You've got to go. It's bizwomenrock.com. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode.
He's still there. Okay, cool little fun fact that when we got married two years ago, we went down to the Keys and had like a rented a house for like a, an entire week. Families came in, friends came in, and we all just kind of hung out for the week and were in the water and went fishing and all this fun stuff. Still to this day, one of the best vacations I've ever had. 